Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Lost in sin, but Jesus took me in, and then a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our trouble. He will hear our faintest cry and he will answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayer will turn and then you'll know a little fire is burning. You will find a little talk with Jesus makes it right. It makes it right. I may have doubts and fears, my eyes be filled with tears, but Jesus is a friend who watches day and night. I go to him in prayer, he knows my every care, and just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Now let us have a little talk with Jesus, let us tell him all about our trouble. He will hear our faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. Now when you feel a little prayer will turn, then you'll know a little fire is burning. You will find a little talk with Jesus makes it Well, good evening, Rocky Valley. Just a little talk with Jesus will always make it right. Amen. Andrew, Hannah, thank you for being here today. You've blessed my heart, and I know you have everybody else here. Um, We're going to skip announcements today, this evening, because there really aren't many. Uh, one quick announcement, the marriage retreat has been rescheduled to It'll be in, September in September or October. So show up. Till then, you'll know when the marriage retreat is. Go ahead and sign up. We'll go ahead and s- yeah, sign up, and uh, we'll let you know if you can be off work to go. Um, another quick, uh, real quick announcement, the uh, hymn sing. Please come out and uh, support that night. Uh, get your ice cream freezers out, and you have to freeze it before you get here, else it won't freeze. Because there's something about you can't make ice cream here. Uh, we tried it. You can inside, right? That's right. We had milkshakes. But anyway, yeah, took two hours to make six quarts ice cream. Anyway, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Then we'll have time to greet one another. Father, we come to you tonight and we just thank you for the blessings that you've afforded us this day. Lord, we thank you for the rains that we've much needed, Father. And we're thankful uh, for the provisions that you've given us today, Lord. We're thankful for... Um, for breath in our lungs, the ability to sing praises to you, God. We're just um, humbled by the work of your hand, Lord, as we look outside and see your creation, Father. As those that are traveling, we ask that you would bring them home safely, Lord. Those that are sick, may you touch their heart tonight and heal their body as is in your will, Lord. We be with this service tonight, Father, and uh, be with our pastor as he stands to preach. May he uh, deliver the word in power and truth. Should he say anything in error, Lord, may it fall on deaf ears. Father, all these things we ask in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Take time and greet one another tonight.
Will you join us as we sing? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee.
Would you want a break and have a break? No? That's okay. <laughs> Dear Lord, um, thank you for this day you've given us. Please help the um, poor and let's and please pray for our um, Hearts for Hunger program and please help the ones in need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. you know that kid has a heart of gold um he hideth my soul choir will you stand as we continue to worship
Be unto your name. 
as Jason said earlier this morning, Brother Jason, as he said, um, how thankful he is that there's still young people who love to sing and proclaim God's word and his message. I'm thankful that there's somebody else younger than me that still knows and appreciates a song like Canaan Land is just inside. I mean, when they came in with a Moles number seven book under their arm, I knew we were okay. We're good. What's that? I owe it to her. Well, thank you, Mrs. Carroll, for for raising such wonderful young people. And um, I do give credit to you and your husband for that. All right, Hannah. It is in E flat. Moses led God's children forty years. He led them through the cold and through the night. Though they said, let's turn back, Moses said, keep going. Canaan land is just inside. Sorrow there in that tomorrow we will be there by and by. Milk and honey flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. Though we walk through. Though we climb high mountains, we cannot give up the fight. We must be like Moses, we must keep on going. Canaan land is just inside. Sorrow there in that tomorrow we will be there by and by. Milk and honey flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. Sorrow there in that tomorrow we will be there by and by. Milk and honey flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside. Flowing, that is where I'm going. Canaan land is just inside.
Well, well, well. Young men, young ladies, that was impressive. You're talking to somebody that ran a camper through a house today, and I'm impressed by that. Thank you, Danny. And of all the people in this world, I wanted to see it. You were right on top of the list, buddy. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 35. And the title of this evening's message is Right on Time. Right on Time. You know, I'm going to take just a minute. When you guys sing, it takes me back to somewhere. Uh, When I was growing up, uh, my mom, who just took off with a horde of kids, uh, is one of ten children. Five boys, five girls, and every one of them either sing or play an instrument. So when I was growing up, what was most normal when my grandmother was still living was for us to gather in my Uncle Terry's house, and there was no telling what song might be sung by the end of the night. And that's where I learned to play the guitar, that's where I learned what an E-flat was, that's where I learned I couldn't sing it, and that's how I know that I'm far enough off-key that I need to stay out there and stick to the preaching. But when you guys sing, uh, it reminds me of a song that they used to sing, and my mom used to sing it with with one of her brothers, and she says, he's an on-time God. He's he's an on-time God. And I thought about this message, and and y'all just made me nostalgic, and I may preach all night, and uh, kind of you caught it, so that's fine. But we're looking to this section of Scripture. And, and I think this section of Scripture is, is often overlooked. Uh, overlooked might not be the right word. Maybe it's often put in as an accompaniment to a larger section of Scripture that begins way back in verse 21. But we're going to start in verse 35 tonight for the sake of time. Because if we started in verse 21, we really would be here all night long. But in this story, you've got, you've got two healings that are occurring uh, almost parallel to one another. They're going kind of in unison together uh, here in Mark chapter 5. One is the healing of a woman who had had a flow of blood for 12 years, and the other is the healing of the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus' daughter. And she was 12 years old, and that's kind of interesting to me. And so you have these these two miracles of Jesus kind of being chronicled together, and it's often just kind of taught as one big story. But I think if you do that, you you, you lose focus on, on what I think is a very important section here in these last eight verses. But I want us to, to kind of keep our perspective as we enter into verse 35 that we'll stand and read in just a moment. So we have Jairus. We have the ruler of the synagogue. He's a a very important man. He was a wealthy man. He had everything at his disposal. He had uh, commanded respect everywhere he walked. Everyone would look to Jairus and they would all recognize him. They'd go, look, you know, there goes Jairus. He's an important man. He's got a lot of things. And he has a daughter uh, who is 12 years old. And so he's come to Jesus. As Jesus got back, he'd been over to the Gadarenes, and he came back, and Jairus and the crowds there, and Jairus, as an important man, makes his way through the crowd to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, my daughter, she's, she's very sick, and I need you to come 
because I believe that you're the healer. And it kind of lets us know that Jairus had reached a place of desperation, right? Because he had everything at his disposal and he was turning to this great healer that he had heard about. And I believe he'd probably employed every doctor in the land and every healer in the land and every ointment and every salve in the land had been exhausted. And he said, okay, I've heard about this Jesus. I'm gonna, I heard he's coming back and I'm going to go check on him. And so there he is, and he gets Jesus. Now, Jairus would have been a man who was used to getting what he wanted. So when he calls for Jairus, and, and he starts to follow Jairus, and, and so here we have this going on. And then a woman who was a nobody. She was 12 years with a flow of blood. She, she's sick. She's not important. The only thing that we don't even get her name. The only thing we know is that she's a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been excommunicated from the culture because she couldn't touch anybody because she had had a flow of blood for 12 years. She wouldn't be allowed to be in crowds where people were. And so here she, she makes her way at this same time to this Jesus. And as she sleeks and, and slunks and, and creeps her way through the crowd so as not to be seen, we have Jesus following Jairus. And we have the woman with the flow of blood. And they're intersecting here in the same place. And now I want us to remember, in no part of their lives would these two be on an equal playing field. J. Iris had it all. This woman had nothing. And yet here they are as they come to the feet of the great physician and they find themselves both in the same place. Humbled to the point that they realized there was nothing else that could provide for them what they needed. And so Jesus, on his way to Jairus' house, stops to heal this woman with a flow of blood. And that's what happens in verse 34. It's the first miracle of this story. Jesus stops to heal this woman, not only physically, but spiritually. And so that's where we're at as we pick up in verse 35. Please stand if you're able in the house. In honor and reverence for the reading of the Holy Word of God from Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 35. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age, and they were overcome with a great amazement. But he commanded them strictly, no one should know it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you'd be glorified in the last few moments that we have together this evening. Father God, we pray that your teaching of your word would be done proper and perfection, Lord God. So that if there would be any error, anything to be spoken wrong, Lord God, you would bind my mouth and bind the ears of those here, Lord God. God, we pray that you would be glorified 
that you would be magnified because you alone are worthy of that, God. We love you, Father. And it's in your precious name that we pray. It's all God's children said. And you may be seated. And so this kind of brings us to our first point tonight. It brings us to our text tonight, and it's this. God's healing occurs on His time. God's healing occurs on His time. Jesus is on His way to, to Jairus' house, and, and, and He stops to heal this woman. Now, we don't know how long He was there with this woman, but I don't take Jesus to be one who became rushed at any experience that he had with any of his children. And so while we read through it in the text, and it looks like it happened just like that, I like to think that probably J. Iris was kind of sitting to the side, and he was kind of watching what was going on. And as any father would be with a sick child, I believe J. Iris probably was looking on thinking, what in the world are you doing stopping to mess with this rotten, nasty woman? She's been excommunicated for 12 years, Jesus. She's been bleeding for 12 years. If you want to heal her, why don't you come back and heal her later? My daughter lay sick in the bed. I wouldn't have come to get you if she weren't dying. This is a major catastrophe, Jesus. And you stop to spend time with this woman. And then Jesus not only heals her, but he begins to love on her and begins to preach to her. And her entire life is changed in this encounter with Jesus. And I can't help but think that J. Iris was probably sitting to the side, tapping his toes, thinking, what in the world is going on here? But then something happens in verse 35. Jesus is still talking to the woman. And people came from J. Iris' house. And I believe that J. Iris probably saw him afar off. He's standing to the side. He's watching this interaction with Jesus and this woman. And suddenly down the lane come some people. And I believe that J. Iris probably saw him in a distance. And he knew instantly what they were coming to say. He thought, they wouldn't be coming to tell me that she's better. They wouldn't be coming to tell me everything's okay. They wouldn't even be coming to tell me that she's still sick. They're coming to tell me that my daughter's dead. And so here's J. Iris and his anxiousness and his angst. And they come and they deliver that news to him. Now imagine that moment for J. Iris. Imagine that feeling, that thought, that emotion. And let me ask you this question as you think about your own life. How often are we right in the middle of a miracle? Because that's where, that's where we find all these characters here in verse 30. This story's not over. And all of these characters find themselves, son, right in the middle of a miracle of Jesus' working. And how many times do we find ourselves in the middle of the working of Jesus putting our timeline on Jesus' miracle, putting our process on Jesus' miracle, failing to realize that Jesus is available, he's capable, and he's complete in his healing. But we start to think that Jesus can't deliver because he didn't deliver when we thought he should. So we stop believing that he can deliver at all. 
That problem that we've been dealing with, that sickness that we can't cure, that person that we've witnessed to for so long and they just, they will not turn, they will not commit to Jesus, they will not accept Christ, they will not follow Christ in baptism, they will not serve the church faithfully, they will not plug in, they used to be plugged in, they've fallen out, they will not hear what you have to say and we think, I'm done. I'm done reaching out to them. I'm done teaching them. I'm done preaching to them. I'm done asking them. I'm done begging them to come and get involved. They're just not going to. And what we do is we put our timeline on God's work. My friends, you have to remember, a moment for Jesus is not like a moment for us. According to the word of God, Jesus ascended to heaven just a few minutes ago. And he's coming back in just a few more minutes. But we may all pass away from this earth before that happens. And so we put our timeline on what God is doing. We, we, we have this ministry that we're involved with. And we prayed about it and we told in the beginning and we poured everything we had into it. We really felt like we were in line with what God was calling us to do. And, and we've labored on it and then now we're in the middle of it. And the results, they just aren't there immediately, are they? We poured everything we had into this, God. God, I did everything that I felt like you led me to do. I prayed earnestly. I knew I was right in the middle of your will. But now it's hard, God. And people aren't coming. There were only four people in my Bible study. There was only me and one. I taught the Bible study to myself. It made me think of a, of a preacher friend that, that, I, that I met at some conferences who's the pastor of a church that runs four services on Sundays now. And in those four services, there'll be about 2,800 people come through that church. It's in George, South Georgia. His name is Mike Stone. And at his first church, the first Sunday that he stood behind the pulpit, there was not another person in the sanctuary. Not another person. And he told this story and afterwards, I went and asked him, I said, what did you do? And he said, I stood up and I led the music because I was also the music minister. And when the music was over, I preached. And I said, where was your wife? And he said, she hadn't moved yet. We were moving to take this church plant that I had been put in place. And there was supposed to be more people there, and it didn't work out. But he said, I stood in the pulpit and I preached to myself the message that God had prepared for me. And he said, did you know that next week my wife got in town and the crowd doubled? And I preached to her the next week. 2,800 people in that church now. Why? Because he didn't put his timeline on it. He thought when he got there, the house should be full. But he said, I'm going to serve God faithfully and do what God has called me to do. And God will grow this in his time. And God has grown it in an amazing manner. Jesus is always right on time. But he's right on his time. Look at verse 36 with me. What does Jesus say to Jairus? Now I want you to notice Jairus hadn't said anything yet. The, his friends have come. They said, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jairus hasn't spoken yet. But Jesus can see what's on Jairus' face. He can, he can perceive what's going on. He, he hears what they say and he says to Jairus, he says, do not be afraid. Only believe. 
He said, don't be afraid. Don't give up. Use the same faith that brought you to me in the first place to watch me carry you through this. Don't give up. You believed that I could heal your daughter when you came all this way to meet me. Now continue to believe that I can heal your daughter still. Because I have this under control. And trust me when I say this, church, because I've been there. When you finally stop pushing and stop worrying and start trusting and believing, that's when Jesus moves mountains. That's when things start to fall in place. But as long as you're pushing, you're depending on you and not God. We've got to realize it's not our time, but it's God. This brings us to our second point tonight. That is that Jesus is healing. It's on his time. But his healing is also steady in the storm. Verse 37, Jesus says, all right, you just believe, right? And then he says, Peter, James, John, I need my buddies. I need my closest ones. I don't need anybody else. I don't need any distraction. I need my closest followers to come with me. We're going to do something. And I'm kind of reminded of the story of Lazarus here, right? You remember the story of Lazarus, don't you? Jesus catches wind that Lazarus is sick, and what's he do? He hangs out and lets him die, doesn't he? He just hangs out. Scripture says he just, he just waited. And then he goes. But he waits until he dies. Why? Because he was going to be glorified. The Father was going to be glorified through what he was getting ready to do. And this sounds eerily similar that Jesus with full ability to, to travel to Jairus' house and heal her first and come back to the lady who was bleeding. There's no doubt in my mind he could have done that. Jesus even has evidence in scripture that, that when the centurion came to him and said that he had a sickness at home, Jesus did what? He healed him right there on the spot. When the centurion got home, he thought back to when the kid got better and he said, wait a minute, that's when I was talking to Jesus. So Jesus didn't have to go and touch the young lady to make her healed. He could have healed her from where he was at. But Jesus arrives with his disciples on the scene. He's got his, his disciples with him. And in verse 38, we have an interesting word that brings up. It says, he came to the house of the ruler and he saw a tumult. I want everybody to underline and highlight that word if you're a Baptist. Because I'm fixing to tell you what that word means. That is a direct Greek word. Translation to English, that is the description of a Baptist business meeting. All right? If any of you want to know what that word means, that is the direct description of a Baptist business meeting. Jesus arrives there, and here we are with this tumult. But seriously, what, what's going on? Uh, I'm going to bring up to speed a little bit about that culture. In that day, in that culture, there were kind of three stages to the funeral celebration. It would start with the arrival of the close family. So your closest family, your closest friends, those who were nearest and dearest to the deceased would show up and they would begin to wail and shriek loudly and they would cry and they would express their grief and their mourning there. And then second, you would have people that were professional wailers. That was their job. That's what they got paid to do. Their, their job in society would be to come in to a funeral service after the family, and they would shriek and, and wail like nobody's business, and they would make a tumult. 
That's what they would do. It would just be a, a crazy scene with all of this going on. And, and you've all seen some of this. Brother, you're in, the, you're in the funeral business. These are the people at the funeral today that everybody looks over and goes, why is that person screaming? Does anybody even know who they are? How did they know this person that they're so tore up by this, right? These are the professional whalers. Now, you can imagine if you're a professional whaler, you would be whaling very well. And so that's what they're doing. They're, they're screaming and they're, they're whaling and they're carrying on. And, and that was the normal thing because after they left, the flute players came in. Right? And they cleaned the mess up. They calmed everybody down, I guess. I don't know. But given this chronology, what we see is that this young lady has been deceased long enough that the professional whalers have arrived. All right, I want to make that clear. She hadn't been dead a moment. There's no mistake in the prognosis. The doctor hadn't like missed it and said, oh, she's dead and then found out later. No, she was, she was just resting. No, she's, she's dead. They're, the family has mourned. The new professional whalers are there, and now they're wailing and shrieking. And so he shows up, and this is what's going on. The child has been dead, but he says she's just asleep. But everybody thinks he must be crazy because look at what happens here. Uh, in verse 39, he says, why are y'all making this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she's sleeping. And then the professional whalers, they do what? They ridicule Jesus. They say, what are you talking about? What in the world are you talking about? And they begin to literally laugh into a scorning state. That's what that ridicule means. That they began to laugh at what Jesus, what are you talking about? We're making a commotion because this is what we do. We know when somebody's dead. We, we do this every day. This girl's dead. And you keep saying something about her sleeping, but she's dead. This guy is crazy. And they begin to make fun of Jesus. But I want you to look as Jesus endures this storm. And this is a storm, no doubt in my mind, that you show up on the scene and everybody starts making fun of you. And Jesus, he doesn't lose his cool, does he? He doesn't fall apart right here with all this that's going on. He doesn't even forget what he's there to do. And he doesn't even, I love this, he doesn't even take time to confront the professional whalers, does he? Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I showed up on the scene and people started poking fun at me, the first thing I'd want to do is address them. So what's your problem, dude? I came all, I just healed a woman that was bleeding. What are you going to talk to me? What have you done today besides scream? All right, you ain't got nothing on me. I was over in the Gadarenes. There was a man that had demons. I cast, I cast the demons out into the swine and then put them in the ocean. You screamed at a girl's bedside. You ain't got nothing on me. But no, not Jesus. Jesus just carries on to do what he came to do, right? He gets there. They start wailing and crying and they're going crazy. They make fun of him for saying he's sleeping. And Jesus just simply says, y'all get out of the way. Y'all watch out. Mom, Dad, y'all come here. Peter, James, John, I need y'all with me. And I want everybody else to get out of this house. How many times are we right there where Jairus is? Jesus is dealing with a storm in our lives. He's getting ready to do something amazing. Guys, I, I don't know if you caught on when we read it at the beginning, but there's something cool fixing to happen. 
This is a big deal what's fixing to happen. Jesus is getting ready to show up and show out. And how many times do we find ourselves looking at the storm, losing sight of the fact that Jesus is getting ready to show up and show out in a mighty way? How many times do we find ourselves missing what Jesus is doing, looking at what he's not doing when we think he ought to do it? We are notorious for that as a church today. We get so focused on what is wrong and so focused on what we don't have and so focused on how some other church is doing something that we ain't doing or so focused on the ones that that didn't come back on Sunday night. We're so focused on the ones that won't come and give out food at Hearts for Hunger. We're so focused on what's not happening that we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is doing a miraculous work right under our noses. And we're so focused on what we don't have that we miss out on the miracle that he's doing in front of us. We get so busy saying there were only eight people that showed up to hand out food boxes that we forget we gave out 40 food boxes, don't we? We get so busy saying, boy, I wish wish 20% more of the people that came on Sunday morning would come back on Sunday night. And we miss out on the fact that God showed up on Sunday night for the ones that were here. We shouldn't, we shouldn't look at the people that didn't come back and be angry. We should look at them and feel pity that they missed another chance to worship God. And you can tell them all that I give out $100 bills on Sunday night if you want to. I don't care. I didn't say it, so I'm not lying. How many times do we miss out on what God is doing, though, because we're focusing on the tumult and the storm that's circling around us? Let's look at the rest of this text this evening, these last few verses. Jesus' healing is done in his time. His healing is steady through the storm. And his healing is like nothing we believed possible. Starting in verse 41, Jesus takes the child by the hand. Now, in my study time, I'll stop, and and, and I I have to do this, i I think I've got ADHD, DD, and and so I, I can't just I can't look at the pages of this Bible without getting lost, and I start thinking about needing to write a card, or I think about you know the the doors creaking at the house, and my wife's fussed about it for six months, or I start thinking, and I don't go get any old and do anything about it. I just think about it, but then then then. Then my ADHD kicks back in, and I see a squirrel run through the parking lot. And I think, well, I wonder where he's going. So I've got, I've got when I'm studying the Bible, what I do, and, and you, you've seen it. You've been here when I'm doing it. I'll turn a piece of notebook paper on its, on its side, and I'll kind of write each phrase. And then I'll write it, you know, in the Greek. And then I'll write what it means. And then I'll draw these lines, and I'll make boxes, and I'll make circles. And it's really pretty if I had coloring pencils. But when I was in there, I looked at the beginning of verse 31, and I'd read this a million times, and I never, it says, he took the child by the hand. Friends, the child's dead. This child's dead. And here, in the midst of this child who lay in this bed, dead, the Savior said, all right, everybody get out. I need my my three amigos, and I need mom and dad, and y'all come here with me. And he takes the child's hand. Now imagine if you're that mom and dad. And here's Jesus. Now, Jairus is probably still mad. Jairus's mind is probably still on the woman that got healed while his daughter died. Mom may or may not know that part of the story yet. If she does, she's mad too. 
But here they are, and Jesus takes this little girl's hand. And he speaks to her. She's dead. Can I make sure you understand that? She's been dead for a while. And he speaks to her and says, little girl, I say to you, get up. I say to you, arise. Now, my friends, I don't know about you. That's a big deal to me. The girl is dead. And the Savior grabs her by the hand. And he says, child, precious child, I want you to rise. And I just imagine Jairus probably thinking, what are you doing touching my daughter? You wouldn't come heal her. You didn't get here in time, Jesus. And then all of a sudden he says, rise. And I believe Jairus saw the breath enter back into her lungs. And he saw the color come back into her face. Now, if Jesus did that for you, where's the first place you'd go? You'd go back out to them whalers and say, y'all get out of here. I don't need y'all no more. Whatever they paid you, give it back. You'd go tell everybody, wouldn't you? But what's Jesus tell them to do? He says, listen, y'all feed this little girl. She's hungry. Y'all don't tell nobody what happened. It's not time for this to be revealed yet. I've got a divine appointment with the Pharisees, but I don't need you to stir them up just yet. Someone needs you to keep this to yourself. But here's your daughter. She's been healed. Because Jesus was right on time. If he had healed Jairus' daughter as soon as Jairus got there, it would just be another story about Jesus healing but instead he brought her back from the dead and this ruler of the synagogue became a believer and had a faith in God and how many more people did he tell in his life because of what he had saw Jesus do and there was no way that that miracle could be attributed to anybody else because everybody else had already failed In case you haven't figured it out, we were all that little girl in the story. We lay dead in our trespasses with no hope when Jesus touched us and said, Get up. I got something for you. Get up. There's more to your life. Now, I don't know what this little girl goes on to do with her life, but I bet it was something special. And that's who we are. God has put a call on each and every one of our lives. He's touched us. He's healed us. He's saved us. And he's got something more for us. So we got to remember that God's healing is always perfect. But God's healing is always on his time. And sometimes his timing and our timing don't line up. But can I just tell you something? His timing is always the right time. We don't understand why 
healing doesn't happen the way we want it to. We don't understand which side of glory it happens on the way we want to. But we can have faith that it happened in God's perfect timing. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this evening. And God, when we read in this text, it stirs up certain emotions for us, Lord God. Emotions that we realize that you are a capable healing God, that you can heal all things, Lord God, that you can call the daughter of Jairus back from death, Lord. And God, if you can do that, you're the same God today that you were then. You can still do these things, Lord God. So God, we can look at this story and we can go one of two ways. We can say, God, why haven't you done this for me yet? Or we can say, God, I realize your timing is perfect. Help me to beg for your will to be done and not my own. God, help us to be a people who cry out for your will to be done. To say, we will follow you. We will surrender to you. And we will be obedient to you. For it is in your holy name that we pray, God. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.